0: Love, Hope, Radio. Good evening and welcome to a special episode on Brown Skin Speaks Radio. I mentioned last week from time to time I'll have special guests co-hosting with me. Well, tonight my ladies from the Rebel Mag are joining me, Miss Lady Spice and Miss Isha. Um, Hello. Guys, how are you? <laughs> Good, <laughs> Good, thank weekend. you. Well, I know Missy Shaw is going to uh, jump on later, um, but I want to say thank you for joining me again, Lady Spice.
1: Not a problem. Always a pleasure.
0: (laughs) I go by the name Brown Skin, and it's Wednesday, June 2nd. And tonight's episode is Let's Talk About It, Elevating on Wax Poetics, which will kick off Black Music Month. If you're not familiar with the term Wax Poetics, we'll break it down for you later on in the show. But the Wax Poetics that we're speaking of tonight is the bi-monthly American Music Magazine highlighting vintage and contemporary jazz, funk, soul, hip-hop, blues, R&B, and more. The founder and editor-in-chief, Andre Torres, joins us tonight to discuss the history and vision behind Wax Poetics and the future plans for the magazine and she is on as well. Um, Andre, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? Yes, definitely. Of course.
2: Uh, Thanks for having me, and uh, thank you for that wonderful
0: introduction. (laughs) Thank you, Ms. Isha. Are you there?
3: I am here. I am here. Thank you for joining us.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Well, um, we're We're like psyched (laughs) (laughs) to
1: have
2: you on the show. Uh Cool. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Well, I know, um, Lady Spice, you discovered uh, Wax Poetics, so go ahead, kick it off.
1: Sure thing. Thank you very much, Brownskin. So,
0: Andre, could you please tell us, you know,
1: for the millions that are listening, how did Wax Poetics start? Was it an idea that morphed into something else? How did the idea come about? Like, how did it get implanted in your mind, and, you know, where are you going with it?
2: Um, Yeah, I mean, it was definitely an idea that I had about initially a documentary, really, um, and I mean, I'm not a filmmaker by any means, I, I went to art school, um, but, you know, I had been collecting records, you know, throughout college, and, uh, you know, got into the whole, I guess, beat-digging scene, and finding samples yeah. of different hip-hop tracks, and, you know, that really opened up a whole other world for me, and, you know, I kind of became obsessed with finding all this stuff, and so then by the time I moved to New York uh, in 95, You know, that was, you know, really the sort of home of all this sort of these tales. I had been hearing about different records that became sort of classics. And, you know, here I was in New York, and I'm hearing all these stories. But there there was really nothing you could sort of go to that had, like, all this information about all this stuff I was hearing about. So, you know, around the time, you know, the Internet started popping off, there were these little sort of forums and chat groups. And, you know, I kind of fell in with a couple of these cats and, you know, I could really tell there were cats out there
0: all over the world,
2: really, besides just, you know, the U.S. or New York. I mean, Japan, England, you know, everybody, Germany was was like hip to this. It was like a little subculture. So I thought it would be cool to just sort of, because hip-hop's always talked about with these, you know, main elements. I thought, you know, these records, this record-digging culture was really like a sort of sixth element of hip-hop that was sort of, you know, under-documented, and I thought, you know, it would be cool to do a documentary that sort of showed how, um, you know, all this had sort of come about from early, you know, 70s DJs rocking doubles of these records that had breaks, and how those things sort of evolved and became, you know, around the time of the sampler, you know, sort of classic breakbeats that were sampled and then, you know, of course, resampled and recycled into, you know, modern times, like even today. So, you know, I thought, no one had done this. Let me start doing some research. And I started doing research, you know, on some of these artists, and there was nothing out there. I mean, you'd go to the library or Barnes <laughs> uh, & and Noble, and there'd be, I... you know, all these books on the Rolling Stones, let's say, or, you know, whoever else, but nothing on James Brown or Sly Stone. And, you know, these were the more obvious cats. I was trying to go digging hard, you know, dudes that nobody really was was checking for. So that's when I just figured, well, if no one's done this, then somebody should document this in print form and keep some sort of uh, journal almost of like, you know, and archive this history because it just seemed like, You know, it was fading every day. People were sort of, you know, especially around the time 2000, you know, when the whole sampling sort of renaissance had kind of worn off, I think, uh, you know, I could see that this was something now people could view objectively almost. Whereas if I had tried to do this in the heyday of the sampling era,
0: it would have been a lot
2: harder to pull off. People are a lot more secretive about records, and, you know, a lot of this was, you know, sort of a mythology that you either had to be in or be out of. I I've I found myself sort of right in the middle. There were like these cats who had been collecting records for 20 years. And then I knew these kids who were like 18, 19, who were just getting into it too. And I had been at, you know, maybe five to 10 years, and I just sort of saw both sides of it. And I figured there could be a platform where you could have both ends of the spectrum sort of unite So. That was pretty much the genesis of it, and then, uh, yeah, we just ran from there.
0: What I loved most about it was um, digging the name Wax Poetics, and, of course, the first thing I thought about when I thought Wax was vinyls. Uh, yes. So wh- what was your uh, influence? Because Wax Poetics actually means something, but you um, have a kind of a, an illusion when it comes to, to the name. Um, wh- yes. what yes. Why that name?
2: Um, you know, I had been thinking about, you know, coming from that vinyl digging for beats culture, you know, something having to do with crates or digging, and, you know, it all just seemed very obvious. Uh, One night I couldn't sleep, you know, right when I had sort of gotten the idea for the magazine, and we had really started working on it, but they were like, yo, what are you going to call this thing? And, you know, we had kicked around a bunch of ideas, they all seemed to sort of be lame, really, so... I was I couldn't sleep one night, I got up, and it just sort of hit me, I just wrote it just down singular, wax poetic,
0: yeah. you know, I
2: like the allusion to vinyl that wax had as well, and then knowing what the phrase meant, and knowing that we were going to be talking about music in this style, that a very particular vision of the way I wanted us to be able to talk about music, intelligently, you know, where it wasn't something that would be like throwaway culture, I was really trying to do what every other magazine wasn't. So uh, I thought this kind of nailed it on the head, and I wrote it down just singular, and then I just added the S after a couple minutes, and (laughs) that was it. I just sort of left it, and I went to bed, and then the next day I called my man. I was just like, yo, I got it. Black Poetics. (laughs) he was like,
0: what? <laughs> what? Uh, uh, okay. Oh, are yeah. you sure? It sounds good. I'm telling you, this
2: is it. This is it. Trust me. Trust me. So, yeah, I just, oh, everything sort of has been like that where, you know, I just kind of ran with my gut on it. You know, if I felt like this was the thing to do, I never really over overthunk or overthought any of this stuff. I mean, I really just sort of. Ran with it. This whole idea of a magazine and now a media music media company, you know, it was really an innocent sort of vision. You know, just as you know, something that I had passion for. That uh, you know, I had no experience in publishing or even journalism, really. So I just sort of did whatever we thought was right, and it's it sort of just carried us, you know, from year to year. So it's been good.
3: Great. Um, this is Isha. Um, I just, Hi, how are you? Yeah. good. Out of all the hip hop magazines and publications and websites out there that um, target the genre and seek to kind of be the the expert voice or the thought leader on on hip hop and and rap and the culture, what would you hope that your readers take away from interacting with Wax Poetics? How what what makes you stand out? What is it something that you hope at the end of the day um, a reader feels or, or thinks about your, your publication?
2: Yeah, no, that, that's a great question. I mean, you know, I can only speak from, you know, being a fan of the culture. You know, I wanted something that, you know, kept my interest. You know, essentially I had I thought I really had sort of evolved past the level of journalism that I was getting from a lot of these, Newsstand magazines. They were, Mm -hmm. you know, flavor of the month driven. And, you know, I always thought, you know, I was getting short change because I'd buy it for some article that I saw. And then once I started thumbing through it, it'd be like, man, you know, 45 minutes later, I was done with it. And it was like, Mm -hmm. I could throw this in the trash. I just spent $5 on this. And I just thought, you know, they were really only skimming the surface. And I would, you know, and I would, you know, go out and buy them all. I mean, from you know, the ones who were slightly touching on it to the ones who were deep, deep, deep in it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the ones, there were bits and pieces and all of them that were kind of getting at what I wanted to do, but I just Mm -hmm. thought if I could do all of that in one place, you know, that would be, you know, the kind of magazine that I wanted to read. And I mean, I just just felt that no one was putting the music in context, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. I thought... Mm -hmm you know, it was sort of appeared like it had appeared out of nowhere without any reference. And the way that we were sort of, you know, moving down the line of not taking this seriously, almost, and treating it as throwaway culture, that we would fall prey to the same forces that, you know, brought jazz down, for instance, and every other you know, black musical innovation that, you know, started out, let's say, like jazz in a whorehouse and no one cared about to the point now where if you're gonna go listen to jazz, you're probably spending sixty dollars on a ticket and wearing a you know, tuxedo or a suit and tie and, you know, you can go learn it at a university and
0: and right. now it's
2: America's finest art form and you know, this has been codified but not with by us, partially by us. We created it, but at one point we just left it behind and it took a bunch of mostly white critics, writers to sort of elevate this and say, Hey, no, real this is some real stuff here and I thought mm-hmm. are we gonna wait again and let them take this, you know, mm-hmm. and 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 you know, play it out like they have every other thing and then leave the carcass for us. And then, what, 20 years from now, somebody will come along and say, Hey, no, it was one of the greatest, you know, revolutionary art forms that occurred in the 20th century. And then what? suddenly they'll rewrite the history and then make it into something that we would be like, Yo, man, I lived through that. That ain't really how it went down. You know, wow. Eminem was not the dude, like, forever. <laughs> you know, I mean, he had a minute, but. You know, there were a bunch of other cats, you know, I got pictures, you know, and so I thought, you know, this was an opportunity here to, you know, show how this was something we created, something that had context, that that had an evolution, that it came out of, it was an extension of all these other forms, from the blues, to jazz, to African music, reggae, to Colombian, and Cuban, and... You know, this was a natural expression that, you know, no matter where you put us all over the world, at any given moment, we're going to take it, whatever's there, with whatever it is we got in us, and come up with something. And, right. you know, if this wasn't a fine, the finest example, I thought, no one's really treating it correctly. So let's do that. So that generations from now, my kids, my grandkids, will have something. That shows them, yo, this was real. There's, like, volumes of information here with cats that, you know, no, you ain't going to hear them on the radio. (laughs) (laughs) Right. If you care about this like you say you do, this is where you need to be. Right, mine.
1: right. No, and I totally agree with you on the the comment that you made about, you know, it being different from other magazines because you would look through and it would be the same old thing, basically. Yes. And that's actually what attracted me to your magazine to begin with because right. um I was visiting a friend's house and just saw it lying there and I was like, oh, another magazine. I'm not even, you know, going <laughs> to touch it. But then I saw the cover And I was like, okay, maybe I'll just look at it. And I picked it up, and I read the intro, and that's actually what drew me in.
0: Can I just –
1: your intro is fantabulous. I loved it. (laughs) I was so ecstatic and so just joyful, you know. I think it was issue 39. It was the African issue,
2: and you had done a
1: piece on Falakuti. Um, who I know um, as a music, musical artist, but, you know, not that much. So it was very insightful to me, very informative, and I I just loved the way you guys broke it down, you know, talking about, like, the other people in his band and how, you know, um, How dispersed, like the members were after you know it broke up, and I think in the in the magazine even you had mentioned an interview with one of his, I think it was the drummer or something in Germany. Like it was just, it was just, it was just an experience if (laughs) I I can put it uh, roughly that way. But I mean, talking about everything that you did a good
2: good job, definitely.
1: Oh yes. (laughs) and the way you integrated them all together. I was just reading and reading and reading. I was being antisocial. That was me, and I'm never antisocial. So kudos to you.
2: Well, thank you. Um, I apologize for you having to be (laughs) antisocial.
1: No, but it was for a good cause. I do enjoy music, and um, I love hearing about different artists, you know, not just your regular um, mainstreamers, but just the different ones that have been forgotten Um, about, you know, that have been brushed under the rug. You sort of, like, bring them back to life and into the light. So that was a great thing about it. Thank so you, this leads you. me into what, you know, the next question that I wanted to ask you is so as editor in chief of um Wax Poetic Magazine, what comes easiest to you?
2: Hmm. Uh, in what of all way? these different
1: entities that you do, the book publishing, uh, yes,
2: online yeah. music
1: stores, um, you know, so on and so forth. You you talked yeah, about you know, the music media company. Um yeah, yeah. wake <laughs> up in the morning, what's your one and this is a tag-on question. What's the one thought you think? Because it seems to me from your description at least that it's more of sort of like a hobby that you do and not a punishment <laughs> as uh, is yeah. with most people's work.
2: Uh-huh, yes. <laughs> um, I definitely, you know, feel like, I don't know if you guys saw that Chris Rock last stand-up when he talking about a job versus a career. And, you know, you know, the job's the thing that you like watch the clock, you know, every. Couple minutes, like is it is it five yet? Is it five yet? You know, whereas a career is kind of like ah five o'clock already. Ah, Well, I guess I got to come back in and work on my project. You know, like it's kind of like a blessing, really. I mean, I I kind of have to remind myself that or how lucky I am because you can definitely get caught up in all the work. But you know, when I realize what I'm quote unquote working on. It's just like, come on, man, you know, shut up. You know, you could be at like a hey. bank somewhere crunching numbers or something. <laughs> so um, totally. I'm definitely very appreciative of the niche I've been able to carve out. But, you know, I mean, having gone to art school and, you know, I got my degree in painting, you know, that was one of the oh, wow. things for me that was most uh, was sort of at the top of my list that I wanted to make sure we were able to achieve here. And that was, you know, I wanted this a very particular vision for this magazine book and everything we do, really. I mean, I, you know, there's a certain aesthetic that, you know, I wanted very clean, you know, sort of, uh, you know, I, I, would, I grew up, you know, reading all these art journals and, you know, the way they would talk about Renaissance architecture, like it was, if it was the greatest thing that, you know, anyone had ever done. I wanted to be able to talk about James Brown just the same way. And, and elevate him to that same stature. You know, I thought all these other magazines were sort of treating this thing shoddily. If I took it and put it on the level like they were doing it and, you know, the art books or art journals, then, you know, ours would be able to stand next to that. So that, for me, is always a sort of driving uh, pursuit, you know, in every project that we take on. It's giving it that that level of quality that I know, you know, it deserves. And, you know, no one had actually taken the time or care to do. So, you know, I spend a lot of time making sure we get the right kinds of photos. You know, sometimes it's months of getting these guys to go in their attic and get these photos out and trusting us to, you know, put them in a FedEx thing and, you know, have a scanner. I mean, it's a process, you know, that, you know, takes time and and love and and passion. So, you know, you definitely realize, you know, that none of this is sort of automatic. It takes a lot of work and I think that's really what I've learned over the years is, you know, I just come in every day and just push it just a little bit further, you know, maybe just from here to there, just slightly a couple of feet, you know, it's like a ball that I'm trying to get up the hill and then you know, over the course of two months, you know, just by pushing it a little bit, a little bit, a little bit every day, you know, we wind up with an issue, you know, or take on another project and it's another book and it's another record. And, you know, so I just sort of, you know, every day take it, you know, one day at a time and just a little bit at a little bit at a little bit at a time and try to pace myself because, you know, you can really get overwhelmed with the amount of stuff we have going on. And that role that I play in it, sort of nothing really gets past me without me seeing it, hearing it, touching it, feeling it. You know, I want to make sure it has my stamp of approval. So, you know, it's certainly a process that uh, takes getting used to. But, you know, it's been trial and error. I mean, I like I said, I never had any experience in this field. You know, the business part of this has been – an interesting learning curve, you know, just learning publishing and newsstands and distribution and, you know, the book yeah. industry and record industry uh, now in the sort of MP3 digital music sales. And so, yeah, it's been fascinating, but, you know, I just sort of take it all as it comes and keep that, you know, I think there was a certain naivete that I came to this with. If I had gone to journalism school, if I had you know, become a master of magazines, which there is an actual degree that you can get in that. Oh, uh, wow.
0: You know, I did not I, know that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I
2: had a guy come to me. He's like, oh, I got a master's of magazine. He was looking through. He was like, oh, there's some good entry points here. And he was pointing all this stuff out. And Yeah, you know, all this lingo. And I had no idea what he was doing. But, you know, the guy was trying to freelance for me. And it's just, I found it odd whereas these guys go to school for this yet. You know, nobody really has the sort of guts. A lot of times, to just go and do it. And I think that was something I didn't have to worry about. Whereas, if I had gone to school for this, I'd be more, you know, sort of logical in my thinking about how we're we going to do this and sketching out a business plan and all that. And, you know, yeah. I didn't do any of that. I just go with, you know, what's in my gut, as I said earlier. And that's really been the driving force behind this. And it was
0: easy early
2: on to get people on board because they could see how passionate I was about it. You know, they were like, yo, what are, you want to do this? Okay, you ain't going to be able to pay me straight. It's all good.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. down,
2: you know. And it was really mm-hmm. getting all these people early on. It was going to be anybody probably for the first couple of years.
0: Uh, right. And, of
2: course, you know, as things got better and we were able to do that, it, you know, it became, uh, you know, it was. It was but he got a raise. <laughs> okay. Yeah, exactly. The same crew that was riding with back then is still with us. So, you know, it's definitely like family now.
1: Nice, mm-hmm. very nice.
2: Love it. Oh, Love
1: so, Andre, that's... Oh, sorry, Ash. No, I <laughs> was just going to I like the way, you know, they stuck with you from the beginning and they're still there now. Like, that says a lot.
2: Yeah. Ashes. Yeah, I think a lot God. of people have been that's waiting Had been waiting for something like this as well. So, right. when it hit, they were kind of like, yo, you know, I definitely want to be down with this because, you know, they could, they could see, you know, they were right there with me, so.
0: Right. Cool.
3: So I just kind of want to take it back to something that you said that kind of sparked my interest um, about Mm -hmm. throwaway music. And I find that to be like the state of the hip-hop industry right now. Everything is, you know, a day at a time. What song is the cool song today? You know, everybody's trying to outdo each other on these like cheesy, almost gimmicky, you know, records. Uh, What is your take on that? Well, how do you think we can kind of bring it back to what? it used to be and where, you know, where it came from and kind of move away from this? Or is there hope? I mean, is this kind of the future of music?
2: Um, yeah, that's uh, that's, a, that's a deep question. Um,
3: you know, <laughs> we, get deep, it, we get deep just, on the rebel mad, Andre. Yeah, we, we no, I know. Take I, it. it. In this?
2: there. <laughs> we, we don't really have too many platforms we can open up like this, so it's good that you all have created one. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I get asked a lot about, you know, and, you know, I want to preface this with, listen, I love music and I love all types of music. And, you know, I grew up and have been a huge fan of hip hop since its infancy. And I think, you know, there was a point in a stage at which I was like many people who were in my, you know, age bracket who sort of hold on to those golden years you know, sort of become disgusted with hip-hop as of late, um, you know, and, you know, I think I'm sort of almost over that phase where it's kind of like I don't I don't really want to hold on to it as much anymore. I mean, we just put out a hip-hop issue, and I mentioned that in my editor's letter, you know, how, you know, we're putting on a hip-hop issue with a third one, and, I you know, it couldn't be at a time when, you know, more people – didn't care about hip-hop, you know, I mean, it's mm. really like, it, it already kind of peaked, it's really kind of like just there now to exist, you know, in some mutated form of what it once was, but, you know, and that was kind of what I was thinking when we put this issue together, you know, I had Ice-T and Ice-Cube and EPMD and KRS, and, you know, looking back at that period where it was, you know, everything was so wide open, the possibilities you know, the, you know, just sheer expression, you know, that era is gone. You know, I think we can all agree that this music has been, you know, boxed up, you know, put on a shelf, you know, and become ready-made. You know, it's like we created this culture, and then they found a way to take it and then sell it back to us. You know, I mean, there was a time when you didn't have, well, there was a time when you didn't even have hip-hop records. Those records were rock records and, you know, old funk records and whatever records, you know, and then you had hip-hop records, but you didn't have hip-hop shoes. You you didn't have hip-hop jeans, but you had a way that you wore it that made it hip-hop. You know, that was an individual expression and style. The thing has become codified to the point where, You know, these are, you know, hip-hop is a certain set of signs, you know. It's about having this brand and that brand and this logo and wearing your, you know, this way, this thing. You know, it's a a mutated version of what I grew up with, but it's all these kids now have. So I, I can't really fault them because they don't know any better. You know, it's like when I grew up, my father saying, well, I mean, I'll give my pops credit. He was cool. He uh, he pretty much got what was going on. But a lot of parents at the time when hip-hop came in, it was kind of like, well, this is garbage. I, you know, coming from an R&B tradition, you know, it was mm-hmm. a little bit much. Uh, you know, and uh, so I don't want to be that dude. You know, I can only yeah. imagine I got a six-year-old kid and a four-year-old, another on the way in September, and... I can't even imagine what hip-hop is going to sound like when they're grown. I mean, I just heard some song on the radio yesterday, and I was driving, and the kid was saying, you know, especially R&B music where, you know, you had these guys who were professing love and it was in a very shrouded, you know, sort of, you had to get through. You couldn't just say something. You know, you had to make it poetic. But this dude in this R&B song yesterday was just straight up like, He was saying, I love your booty. He was singing, I love your booty, I love your booty, I love your booty. Like, that was like the chorus, and it was like, he -hmm. wasn't even talking about her. He was talking about a booty. I mean, it was just like, so now it's like there's no art to it, you know, and that's what I was saying in my editor's letter. We need to inject more art, you know, because there are no real artists anymore. I mean, everybody's an opportunist and a businessman, And they Mm -hmm. saw how you can take this thing and do wonders with this form and and not have to worry about art. If there was anything, we was broke when we was making art. So I understood, yes, we needed to get here. We needed to be able to at least be in control. You know, I can't knock a dude like a Jay-Z or a Diddy. You know, we need cats like Russell Simmons to make this into what it is. But once we get here, now it's time to make art. And I think that's really what I think the all, all we have to look forward to is if we can start raising a generation of artists you know we suffer because you know these kids are not trained and now the way music is it's it's not something someone hones and and develops it's not a craft any longer it's a product that you get out on the internet as quickly as you made it on your computer with no checks and balances and no one to tell you whether it's any good or not, you know, it's just more, 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 get it out there, so I got stacks and stacks of CDs on my desk that, you know, people send me, probably some of it I'll never be able to listen to, because there's just too much of it, and a lot of it just isn't very good, because, you know, no one's taking the time anymore, there's no music in schools, you know, there's a number of problems that have led us to this path, but we can't sit around and blame everybody, you know, we have to really take control of it, and it's a lot about, you know, just teaching kids. That's why I know my magazine, there's a certain threshold of knowledge, but I know when you get to a certain age, if you're thinking about these things, you'll start to question them, and that's when we convert them. Once they get hit to it, and they mm-hmm. look outside of their normal sphere of influence, that's when they find us, and then they're hooked for life because once you get in and get it, you know, then you're sort of the whole world opens up. So, You know, that's what I hope younger kids will want to learn about their history, learn about this music, hone their craft, and become artists again. You know, I think that's what we need, you know, kids playing instruments, you know, not just trying to rhyme or, you know, pick up a, you know, MPC or whatever they use nowadays. It's just software to make beats. But mm-hmm. you know that's one of the reasons everything sounds the same. You know, it's,
0: yeah. the right. life
2: has been sucked out of it. So you know, there's no one there. You know, manning this anymore. It's just sort of on autopilot, like auto tune. It's just everything's been digitized and compressed and
1: and synthesized. And synthesized. <laughs> yes.
2: Very good. Very good. So. Um, so yeah. I mean, if, if there was a call for anything, it's you know revolutionary music. You know, that's you know, injected with life and, and art, because if every anything we have right now, it's very, very far from that.
0: Right. Great. Great you answer, now, so. I, I love how Wax Poetics, because uh, you all, in a sense, fill this void for music aficionados, uh, but let's talk about the different entities you have for those that may not know, and you all just recently expanded to Japan a couple of years ago, so congrats on that. Um, yes, thank you very but, much. Yeah, with the, Congratulations. with the publishing, the record label, let's, let's talk about all those entities. Because I was like, wow, Wax Poetics, let me just indulge myself. If I could scream on the phone,
1: trust me, please, I would. Please please like don't. you understand please please don't understand how excited
0: I am. Please, please there's
1: something I'm new and ready. fresh <laughs> out there, you know, <laughs> <laughs> something unique and different.
0: Yeah, thank I know you, you all thank have you a storefront, much. Andre, and I was getting ready to order a bag, but I'll let you continue all with, with the things that you all have going on under the media company?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's really been a very organic process. I mean, you know, like I said, I didn't come into this with any real prior knowledge or, of this industry or business. I had made beats and gotten on a couple of comps, so I kind of knew the game and the music stuff. But, you know, it was very easy for us once we started down this path of talking with all these old artists and new artists that were doing dope stuff these opportunities just started sort of coming to us almost. I mean, our first record really sort of fell in our lap. Uh, it was an old uh, Army record that, you know, goes for like $3,000 on the Internet. And, you know, we were able to sort of secure the rights, and we knew people were looking for this thing. And so, yeah, it was just like easy, like, yeah, let's put a record out. You know, like, yeah, let's do it. Wax forty's record. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You know, and then, you know, we had all these people writing us, Every day, like, yo, when are y'all gonna put out issue one again? When are you gonna re, you know, it was kind of like reissue. Like who reissues magazines? Like who <laughs> reprints their first issue? I was just like, yo, these people are crazy. Like they think we're like, like a record label or something. Like you know, we're gonna reissue a magazine. Like who asked a magazine that? So you know, I was thinking, well, what do people do? They they anthologize their material. You know, what I mean, they they put it all together and like. People were hounding us, and I was seeing people paying hundreds of dollars for, like, issue number one and issue number two on the Internet, on eBay, and Mm. thought, well, let's just put a book together. You know, (laughs) we'll just, like, compile, like, the first five issues, like a best of, and just put it out there. You know, but I didn't want to have to do a book on my own because you know, it's expensive. And it's not like a quick turnaround. You know, you got to invest all this money and then it takes, you know, a year maybe before you get all your money back on a book, especially dealing with distributors. So I was like, well, you know, looking through these old pulp books, they'd have like cigarette ads in them and stuff. I was like, hey, we already a magazine. You know, let's like go holler at one of our advertisers. And so boom, we got this thing hooked up with Puma and you know we put out first anthology and a second anthology and we put out a, a record cover book cover story and you know then I actually have another book coming out actually it, it really officially hit today uh, but it really won't be in stores probably at least my store probably for another week because I'm waiting for it to come in uh, it's the second volume of cover story and that was actually done without Puma but now that I've got enough experience in the game got you know them to sort of underwrite and support those first couple. It kind of hit me to how everything works. I got a good distributor now in Powerhouse, and so I do a joint venture deal with them where I can bring books that are branded with another company, or I can do them on my own with them. So I'm actually working on another one for another business that we started, which is sort of consulting. Uh, we would work with different record labels and whatnot with advertising and. Sometimes their marketing ideas go beyond just simple advertising into doing events and special (laughs) inserts in the magazine. So, you know, it got to a point where, you know, this one label was a group of investors that bought Fania Records, which is the old salsa label from the 70s. And they pretty much hired us to run the label now. They bought all this stuff last Mm -hmm. year. We went down to Miami. I brought a team of like 12 people down. We cataloged all their master tapes, set up a database, and then we've been spending, you know, this year essentially going through everything and, and you know, a and r double CD box sets and greatest hits packages and putting out new albums, uh, reissues, and doing uh, all their digital releases. So, you know, that's really taken up a lot of time as far as my schedule goes, because it's such a huge project and it's, you know, it's such an important piece of history uh, that sort of fell into our laps almost. Obviously, you know, very organic once again and just sort of us traveling down our path and, you know, these windows of opportunity open when you go down a road. You can't see them at the beginning, but once you stay on that path, you know, these things just sort of come to you and that's really how that – Started And so now we've started this sort of archiving and consultancy working with different labels and working with their assets because there was a time in the industry where none of that stuff mattered, a photograph or a slide or, you know, a tape box with masters in it, you know, that was kind right. of like, yeah, whatever, throw it in a warehouse. Now, those are assets. You can take that and make it into a deluxe CD box set and charge $70 for it so It's a different era, and I think we're kind of perfectly positioned to to be able to take advantage of a lot of this stuff. So, you know, the digital download store, Waxfootics Digital, another extension of just, you know, talking about all this music, and a lot of it people hadn't heard before. And I thought, well, it would be great if we had a place where, you know, while you're reading a magazine, you could actually listen to this stuff and possibly buy it if you wanted. I knew you couldn't find a lot of it on iTunes. I thought, well, we could create our own funky version of iTunes where it's like, you know, we go through everything and make sure it's something that we would be into. Uh right. so we're not gonna <laughs> just throw everything up there. So it's it's yeah. got our once again our sort of editorial aesthetic and, you know, as just one more platform knowing, you know, even though we're talking about records and old dusty vinyl that there were even a lot of guys turning to Serato and playing digitally, not wanting to you know carry around crates of records anymore. So it's just another tool, another platform for us as a brand. You know, Japan, same similar situation. I had a number of companies in Japan coming at me saying, "Yo, we want to do you know collaboration, collaboration." A lot of them they didn't know what they were talking about. These one group of cats that came at me and I was like, "Yeah, you're not ready," and they realized <laughs> and said, "Okay." we will be back and sure enough <laughs> like about a year later they came back and they're like yo we are ready we got some besters we got this that and the other and you know and i had to sort of teach them because they weren't really publishing dudes either but wow. over the years you know it's gotten you know easier for me and i've just been able to impart whatever little bit of knowledge into the, on them and yeah we're actually working on october will be our our second anniversary in japan oh, on wow. issue number 10 that wow
0: nice uh
2: yeah it's it's great. It's great. And I went out there for the debut launch party, and, it, I mean, the dude's like, yo, so we got an autograph session for you for, like, an hour. What you sign an autograph? I'm like, dude, I'm not, like, an entertainer.
0: Well, who the hell am I signing an
2: autograph? like, no, 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 you don't understand. Sure enough, they're like, okay, come on, whisking me through and sitting me down at the table. There's like people lined up. Like, oh, dudes wow. walking up with their girls, like, oh, yes, like, bowing and, like, offer like, here, my girlfriend, here. Yes, bowing, like, here, you, you You know, it's just like, damn, dude, like, Finding T shirts and it was like wow these cats over here they really deep in this I mean they right they like they eat that stuff up you know I mean <laughs> especially the real stuff. Oh so, Yeah I was just like yo you know let's just keep doing it so I'm talking with China now and okay, I've been okay. talking with Russia actually. <laughs> oh wow. wow. So yeah, it turns out, you know, they're all over the world, so I'm just like, yeah, let's get it, let's get it.
0: So it's all, all around, you know. All questions. Yeah, if we're going to expand outside of Japan, like I was just thinking about that, too. Yeah,
2: you know, I mean, there's so many other areas, Germany, France, you know, I mean, China has got a good thing going on. The biggest problem in China is that, you know, like, I, I'm working with a guy over there who's kind of like the dude popping everything off in our scene, and he was, like, trying to get magazines. They won't even let him import Western media
0: into yeah. the country. Yeah, yeah. So, Nothing literally, bad. he
2: has to, like, buy a bunch of T-shirts from me, and then we, like, slide the magazines in, like, on some, like, covert operation. Like,
0: <laughs> know,
2: infiltrating communists. Like, you know, we get, we making them funky over there. Like, it's going to spread like a virus. So, you know, watch <laughs> out. Who knows? You know, five years from now may just... I just sell them right on the corner over there. That's what I'm hoping. So,
0: um,
2: so yeah, it's good. It's good. I think the world is sort of ready uh, to understand this. You know, I think even most others, other you know, outside of the this country, even get it to a degree larger than most of the kids here in our own country. You know, oddly enough, so it's unfortunate.
1: Yeah, yeah. no, I, I totally hear where you're coming from. So in all these things that you're doing, all the various extensions that you have, have you, first of all, number one, been approached by, you know, an organization or an umbrella company that wants to take you over, quote, unquote? Um,
3: <laughs> are you
1: still independent or, you know, how is that working out for you and how are you trying to fiend off <laughs> those, those yeah. entities? Yeah. Um,
2: that's, a, that's a good way to put it, too. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and to then at the same
1: all. time, um, how do your various um, brand extensions, do they do they work independently or codependently in order to, you know, sustain themselves but at the same time be unique in their own individual way?
2: Yes. Um, <laughs> well, starting with the first part, which was just refresh my memory on the first half of that,
1: um, How do you fiend off, or are you fiending yes, off yes, okay. um, organizations?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a lot <laughs> easier now. Um yes.
1: either now or earlier.
2: Yeah, or it's in- a lot easier now. I mean, because nobody's got any money, so <laughs> nobody's like knocking, like, "Yo, come on, man, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that," you know. But like uh-huh. right, before the whole bank thing fell down,
0: uh-huh. yeah,
2: yeah, went down that road a couple of times. And, you know, we came very close, you know, we always wanted to retain, even if we didn't have ownership, we wanted to retain creative control, and that always sort of became a sticking point. And then, you know, the the valuation and the way these guys value everything and what they find value in, uh, we always were a little off on where, you know, we were like, nah, sorry, Mm -hmm. we don't need that. I mean, we came very close to getting swallowed up when we went and worked with Harris Publications and... Okay. I started Scratch Magazine. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. that was like maybe that's 94, few, yeah. 95, or 2004, yeah. 2005. Um, and it was a primarily, you know, that's the whole Double XL rides, oh, uh,
0: okay. you know,
2: that whole scene. Yep. And you know, I was like abhorrently opposed to everything they were doing over there. But turned out the guy was a publisher. He saw Wax Poetics, called me up, and you know, was very casual. He just wanted some back issues, and we started talking and they had this idea about this DJ magazine and I was sort of telling them, well, yeah, DJs are cool, but it's really about that evolution from the DJ into the producer. And that's really kind of the magazine I was looking to do. And we had already been doing elements of that in hip hop, but I was like really trying to do it. I mean, in wax poetic. So I was really trying to show that professionalism in the commercial world where I knew they had access to like a Dr. Dre and Neptune's and I could actually get inside these guys heads. And so, yeah, we pop this thing off, and, you know, I guess they thought, oh, yeah, we'll do Scratch, and then those guys will close down Wax Poetics, and when I didn't, he started asking me, so what are you going to do with this Wax Poetics, you know? Why don't you just let us take it, and I'll turn it into like, Fader, and (laughs) we'll do this, that, and the other, and I was like, "Uh, I don't know, and, you know, it just got to be a point where it was trying to, like, fit a circle in a square. I mean, we just were not, you know, they were telling me things like, yeah, you know, I mean, uh, we want, like, Wax Poetics 101, you know, like, you know, I mean, this was some foul stuff. The dude sat there and they told me, you know, most of the people who read our magazines, you know, talking about double XL,
0: you know, they don't really
2: read. You know, they're more like, they like <laughs> oh. the ads and the pictures. And I was wow. like, oh. <laughs> okay, um, I'm not going to be offended by that because you haven't, uh, we haven't sealed this deal yet. But it was just like, I stored that one away like, huh, okay, see what I'm dealing yeah. with here. And, you know, I heard all the stories. And, you know, they turned out to be 100% true. It was just as bad as I imagined it would be. But the Ooh. saddest part was there were just so many people there who were, you know, clinging on to that world. They would almost do anything to be a part of it. And, you know, I would say mm-hmm. things like, man, these people are crazy. They're like, oh, you better shut up. You know, there's about five more people waiting to get your job. And I'm like, yo, what am I, on a plantation here? Like,
0: you're <laughs> <Lord, laughs> fucking
2: like they just like were like brainwashed. So,
0: right.
2: you know, I just realized, you know, this, I can't do this. As much as I wanted to infiltrate that world and spread the good positive energy and intelligence, they would keep kept telling me, you need to give this section a lobotomy, and you need to, like, dumb this down and take this out and this, that. You know, oh, it was just okay. like, you know, I, I can't. I okay. can't do this. So <laughs> I realized, you know, I can't work for anybody. You know, that's that's sort of the conclusion I came to, and and, you know, that means – if somebody buys me, it's going to be the same scenario. I'm going to wind up have to do what they want. So I think if we were ever going to go down that road, you know, we'd really have to, like, give this thing up wholeheartedly and hand it over to somebody and let them take it and do what they wanted with it. We would have to turn our backs because there would be no way we could let somebody sort of take control and, and and then have us there telling us what to do. It just it wouldn't work. So, you know, I, I don't even – consider that an option now, and like I said, people are so broke, they're not even coming at me, you know, to offer money like they used to, so yeah, (laughs) we just move on.
3: Okay, well, I have um, just a question, you know, the Rebel Mag, we're trying to get our feet wet and, you know, kind of Mm -hmm. take our backgrounds and, you know, make it do what it do, I guess. for lack of a better word (laughs) what advice or recommendations do you have for you know three women on the come up trying to just make something happen put our voice out there have it be different and still authentic and and just refreshing I guess similar to what you have right now
2: well I mean you know first of all more power to you I mean I wish you all the (laughs) luck I know it's not easy but you know, I, I tell people this all the time. You know, I used to hear this whole "oh, you just gotta believe in yourself," and you know, when you're growing up, you guys, you gotta believe in yourself. You gotta stick to your guns, and you know, it's just like, oh, shut up, man! That shit is stupid. <laughs> but really, it's like a cliche
0: for a reason.
2: You know, I mean, you really, you really do have to believe what you're doing is worthwhile because, you know, there were so many times along the way of. You know, early on with this magazine, that, you know, I was working two jobs, seven days a week, 60 hours a week. I'd get up, start walking to the subway. I'm trying to remember which job am I going to? What day is it? What end of the train should I be on to get out with the close exit? Like, and then come home and work on wax analytics. I mean, you really got to want it, you know. And I think so many kids nowadays, and I get them here, you know, kids from right out of college to high school kids to kids still in college, to kids with master's degrees. I mean, they all want to, like, snap their fingers and, like, make it happen. Like, they coming out, like, hollering, like, yo, what's up? What's up with a job? Like, like, no, 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 man. That ain't how it works. You know, you really got to grind at this. I mean, and so it takes the hard work. I mean, every day I think you've got to, like, be focused on what it is, that you want to do, and you got to, like, zero in on that, and you got to figure out how you're different, you know, than everybody else. I mean, I think when you look out there, you know, there's a lot of stuff we're all into, but it's about, you know, where does your heart really lie? You know, where where's your passion? And that is what you need to zero in on, because when you put something out there that's not – you that people can't feel that passion, you know. I, I think the term that my man always uses is, and when I hear about these magazines, you know, falling down, they're like, oh yeah, you know, they were trying to reach everybody, and in the process, you know, reach no one, yeah. you know, and that's the worst route you can go because, you know, you're better off getting at 30 people who are really who really get it who are really feeling what you have to say than trying to reach 300 million and none of them get it. So, you know, it's about focusing in on that, and that's all we've tried to do. You know, you have a particular vision, you, you, you zero in on that, and you just keep nailing it. And I think, you know, building that niche is very, like I said, an organic process. You, once you get down that road and start digging that, that, that tunnel, You know, you'll see all these other things suddenly pop up. But like I said, if you don't start down that path and stay on it, you're never going to get to that point. You know, a lot of the things that we're into now, it took us being here eight, nine years in order to actually, these things come to fruition. There was stuff I thought about after the Mm -hmm. second, third year, wished I could have been doing them then, but couldn't. It wasn't, I wasn't ready. You know, the time just wasn't right. But if you get frustrated and go, oh, man, the hell with this, you know, I'm out, you know, whatever, you know, then, yeah, you'll never know what could have been. So I think that sort of thing that uh, it kind of kept replaying in my mind over and over and over again was, you know, I'm going to keep doing this. I'm not going to give up on this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mm-hmm. stay focused on this because I was the dude who, you know, would take up playing drums or whatever and get tired of it. And, put it aside side and jump on this and let's just work that for a minute. Ah, I'm done with that. I'm on to this, mm-hmm. you know, and it was like, this was the thing I told myself, you know what, just stay on this.
0: See what happens.
2: Mm-hmm. You know what happens when you stop doing it. Let's see what happens when you just keep doing it.
0: Yeah.
2: And, you know, that I think takes a lot of discipline, you know, of just being able to find the joy in the pain. Almost because you know it's a learning curve that process, especially early on, is very difficult, and there's a lot of bumps and grinds, but you know once you sort of get over that hump, you know you see things start to become much easier you're much more adept at what you're doing, and you know it's a little bit more natural of a process, so just believe in it, believe in what you're trying to do and and get other people to see that. But, you know, like I said, it comes from you all forming like Voltron and and pouring all your passion into it.
1: Right, right. So, last question. Um, If you could sum up Wax Poetics magazine in one word, what would your word choice be?
0: Ooh. Ooh. Um, Wow, that's
2: good. I mean, you know, I've used it a couple times tonight, and I think it always comes back to excuse me, context Okay. for us. I mean, I think, you know, that's sort of our unspoken tagline is music in context because,
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know, I think that's one of the things that people, I know I strive for or, or look for, you know, even in our everyday lives, you know, finding some meaning and, re- you know, that's why people are, you know, Always searching for answers, because I think you know we just inherently need that, uh even if it's a safety blanket, like just some religious view to make us <laughs> feel better, like you know we're not alone here, and something you know i I think you know with music, especially you know it's a huge, vast world out there, like you said, you know, picking up black if you may have heard a fella, but you didn't know too much about him and you Kind of new, you know, I think, you know, sometimes people need someone that can sort of extend a helping hand and say, here, let me show you, let me show you how this this works over here, you know, and that's what we try to do, you know, to put this all in context for you so that you can sort of understand it much more clearly, especially when we're allowed to sort of explore a theme like Africa. Of course, I can't get to all of Africa.
0: I'm (laughs) zeroing in
2: on... Very specific music from a very specific period, but you know in that we can tell a pretty good story about you know how this music came about and how that sound traveled over here and you know I think uh, you know that's all we've ever and still try to do with everything that we do is just provide more context for people so mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. that's my pick nice, nice. so this is a funky thought, but I wanted to throw it out on the table. Andre, next time one or all of my ladies are in New York, can we come check out the headquarters that is Wax Poetics? We would love to see it. Oh, yeah, 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 of course. <laughs> You're family now, so just, you know, let me know. Right, so we have this and on the come through. So they can hold you to it. So we be like, Ah, we're in New York. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, 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 we
2: go go break bread. We're right here in Dumbo. It's lovely, water views and all that. So nice. just come through, let me know.
0: Oh, yes, yes, yes. Now, how can people catch up with you, keep in touch with you, find out what Wax Poetics is doing?
2: Well, you know, I think the first thing to do is go to waxpoetics.com. Uh, you yep. can actually join our newsletter from there, and once you sign up to that, you'll get, you know, it's sometimes biweekly, monthly, but we send out regular updates about, you know, new issues, new books, new everything. We do daily updates on the site, uh, and that that really sort of sums up everything that's going on. You know, we got some new projects we're working on. I can't get into much right now with some, you know, some more nuggets that uh, will be coming to fruition uh, shortly. So, yeah, keep an eye out. Uh, And then, obviously, on the newsstand, you know, I'm everywhere. I try to be. You know, at least the right spots. You know, Barnes & Noble's most finer bookstores, most of the good record stores that are still around. Around, uh, yeah. Leaving on a daily basis. But, um, yeah, keep an eye out for us. You know, I mean, I'm talking with, you know, some people about some radio shows now and, uh, yeah, possibly some TV stuff as well. So, yeah, a little bit of everything.
0: Nice, nice. Well, I have to say um, thank you to my guests, you, Andre, and the ladies of the Rebel Mags. Thank you so much. We were very excited to interview you. Definitely. Thank you very
2: much. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you. It was a wonderful
2: experience, and good luck with everything.
0: Thank you. Thank you. you. I also want to thank the listeners. You can catch this episode and other shows on brownskinspeaks.com, spelled B-R-N-S-K-N, also podcasting on iTunes by searching Skin in your iTunes store. Um, yes, the Rebel Mag, thank you, Andre, thank you. Until next time, Brownskin speaks. You all have a great evening. Thanks again, Andre.
2: Right on. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Bye-bye.
2: Good night. Okay, bye. Bye.